All right, Women of Strength. It is Women of Strength Wednesday, and we are here for you with a podcast with one of our probably most newest favorite people in the world. <laughs> um, her name is Marie Vega, and she's doing a lot of really amazing things. But before I try and talk about four things at once, like I tend to do, I'm going to let you guys know that Megan is <laughs> out doing some very important things right now, lots of very important things. And she could not make it on the podcast today, unfortunately. But I am very, very lucky because we have one of our VBAC trained doulas with us. And her name is Allie Many. Is that how you say your last name? <laughs> yeah, Many. Many. Yep. Many. Allie Many. I love it. Allie Many with North Shore Doula in North Vancouver, British Columbia. Canada. Now, let me tell you, when I first saw she was um, North Shore doula, I was thinking about North Shore doulas in Louisiana in the United States, which we were supposed to go travel to before coronavirus turned the world upside down. So completely other country, completely other end of the continent. Well, kind of not really end of the continent, like you're midway through the continent, I suppose. But guess what? <laughs> Allie like <laughs> is really cool because she used to be an alpaca wrangler at a kid's petting zoos in Los Angeles when she was in high school. And I've got to tell you, I was not expecting <laughs> her to say the most valuable lesson that wrangling alpacas taught her for birth work. And so I want her to share that with you. <laughs> Allie, tell us about wrangling alpacas and birth work. <laughs> yeah, I find little um, things that have helped me all throughout my life, I guess. <laughs> I can attribute everything to something. But specifically, wrangling alpacas as a teenager was very stressful for um, celebrity kids parties in Los Angeles. And so before every single event that we would put on, I'd have to walk up and bow to the alpacas. So they like understood there was no power struggle. <laughs> so I would like <laughs> bow down. So my head was well under theirs and they would give me this look and I'd be like, all right, don't take a kid's finger off today. We're on the same page. <laughs> Here we go. But I say that it gave me very good insight into working with uh, anesthesiologists. <laughs> understand you are the king in the room I will bow to you yes <laughs> so be submissive <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome and see I I grew up training horses and it's very opposite like you have to be the dominant one like you face them head on directly head on and then they know that they are not supposed to approach you because that's like horses nature the dominant male in the group if he stands straight forward to you then you you're not supposed to approach him until he turns his shoulder to the side. And so that's what we would do. Like in part of my training, I just face forward and then, and then slowly turn my shoulder toward the horse and then teach, you know, teach, have it come up to me and all that, those things. And so it's kind of funny how opposite that is. And it kind of explains maybe why I have a power struggle sometimes in the birthroom, not a, not, not a power struggle anyone can see, but an internal, <laughs> internal one. You're like, turn your sure. shoulder. <laughs> yes i mean like i am standing facing you <laughs> don't do their move <laughs> oh just kidding okay well kind of anyways 
Um, I'm really excited to talk to Muddy Vega. Megan and her have been working together to pick the perfect topic. And I'm really sad that Megan can't be here today, but I'm really excited that Allie can. But before Allie, or before we get to Marie, we are going to have Allie read a review of the week for us. Sure thing. This one comes from Mandy M826 from Apple Podcast Reviews. She says, the VBAC link is awesome. I am preparing for my VBAC in a few weeks, and this podcast has taught me so much. I've had many fears and worries about it, and the research and birth stories covered in this podcast have helped me stay focused on my goals. I hope to be contacting you ladies with my successful VBAC story one day soon. Thanks for all that you do. Oh, I love that. Okay, now <laughs> my mind's going into stalker mode now. That review was left in January, <gasps> and it is now October. Ooh. And what was the name of the reviewer? Mandy M. Mandy M. Okay, during what, what, while Muddy's talking, I'm going to go look for Mandy M in our Facebook community and see if, <laughs> if she's in our Facebook community. I can stalk her and see if she had her birth because I, because it's fun. Like, I just can't have these types of things without the closure. You can't just say you want to share the story on the podcast without me wondering if you had your VBAC or how your birth went. <laughs> We're coming right. for you, Mandy. <laughs> I love it. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Frankum and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Birth workers, listen up. Do you want to increase your knowledge of birth after cesarean? We created our advanced feedback doula certification program just for you. It is the most comprehensive VBAC doula training in the world, perfectly packaged in an online self-paced video course. This course is designed for birth workers who want to take their VBAC education to the next level so you can support parents who have had a cesarean in the most effective ways. We have created a complete system, a step-by-step -step roadmap that shows exactly what you need to know in order to support parents birthing after cesarean. Head on over to thevbacklink.com to find out more information and sign up today. That's thevbacklink.com. See you there. Well, we are here today. So excited. This has been a long time coming. Marie Vega is an incredible woman. She is on a mission to support women in tapping into their intuition so that they can nurture their entire selves and experience motherhood with confidence. Her personal and professional experiences evoke a deep sense of advocacy to voice the vulnerabilities of womanhood and parenthood. As an author, coach, speaker, and podcaster, Medi Lise, Medi. Medi, is that how you, you got say it? it? So right, yeah. Go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm practicing my accent. Medilise gives voice to the new or to the raw, vulnerable truths of motherhood, and offers coaching and support for breastfeeding and VBAC mamas. And Medi has a lot of resources for you on social media, on Instagram. She's Marie underscore Vega, and on Facebook, she's Marie Vega Motherhood. 
we're going to link to all of her resources in our show notes. And so if you want to know where to find her, just go ahead and scroll to the notes on this podcast episode and click on the links that you find there. And my goodness, we have had such a fun time finding a topic to talk about today on the podcast. So I don't even kind of know what this podcast episode is going to be titled yet. I'm going to name it when we're done. But after Mehdi briefly shows her or shares her VBAC story with us, we are going to talk about how we handle VBAC when we feel like everybody's working against us or everybody's doubting us, how to cope when we don't get a VBAC or when we have an unplanned cesarean and why people kind of shy away from sharing that story. We're going to talk about doulas, being a doula and how to cope when your client doesn't get her VBAC because we are just so emotionally invested and want that VBAC birth for these parents almost as much as they do. And it can be really hard to process through all of those things. And so look forward to all of those things in this episode. And I'm just really excited because these are some things that I just don't necessarily have answers to myself. And so I'm glad that we're going to have a discussion about all of these things. So before I keep on rambling, I'm really hard at making the transition. I feel like I just have to have like a hard stop and then the other person starts talking or else I just keep talking like silence is awkward for me. Anyways, <laughs> Maddie, well, yeah. why don't you go ahead and share with us a little bit about your VBAC birth? <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for that wonderful introduction. And Allie, I'm so excited to also get your perspective on this call. And so just to quickly add to the introduction, I recently also became certified to be a chapter lead for Northern New Jersey's ICANN organization. And so I share that because I'm new to that role and holding space for CBAC mamas has quickly become a big topic for me. So I'm happy that we get to have this conversation today. It feels like very timely. I guess to set the stage, I had my daughter, my first child in 2016. I had, I had thought it would take longer to get pregnant. So I don't think I felt emotionally ready. I was 27 years old and I had a lot of friends in my 30s having trouble getting pregnant. And so I thought it would take us a long time. I was in love. I, I asked my partner, you know, like, I want a baby. I don't want to have to go through the whole, like, get engaged, get married, you know, buy a house, have a baby. I love you. Like, are you down for this or not? <laughs> and after a few months of thinking, he said, you know what, I get, I get why you want, you know, to try so that we're not in a position where, like, you're really upset every month that you don't get pregnant. I wanted mm -hmm. it to, like, be a surprise, you know? And I remember just still being like, wow, I didn't think I'd get pregnant in two months. So that was a big shocker. And I don't know why. I just went on YouTube or the Internet, and I saw a video of one woman having a natural birth and screaming in pain, a video of someone having a cesarean, and I'd never had surgery, so that looked scary. And then I saw a woman look peaceful with medication in a bed having a, a a baby with an epidural and I was like well that looks like a great medium that's what I'll go for and that was honestly the extent to which I thought through what my labor delivery could look like I just assumed that I would have medication to not feel pain and then my baby would just flow out of me and everything would go great and so then I get to the day that I'm going to give birth and my water breaks at you know in the middle of the night and I'm having contractions every two minutes I'm having back labor not that I knew any of this vocabulary at the time. 
and I gave birth in New York City. So I was just so happy to, to go into labor in the middle of the night because traffic jams are just an absolute nightmare in the city. So I was like, great, we'll get to the hospital in no time. And everything, you know, I get to the hospital, they're like, yeah, your, your water broke. Go ahead, we're going to admit you. I'm like, Get me the epidural, get me the epidural, get me the epidural. I just don't want to feel pain. I don't like this pain. It's too much. It's too much. I get an epidural. I go to sleep. I push for um, for two hours, two, two and a half hours, and then I'm told that I need a cesarean because my daughter is um, is not coming down, and it will take another eight hours of me pushing for her to come down. So I really Oh, my gosh. A cesarean. Yeah. They said yeah. that to you? Yeah. I was pretty devastated because I mean I had my asthma acting up I couldn't even get through like you know how they get they ask you to push 10 times I think around like breath Mm -hmm. seven I couldn't even breathe anymore so I couldn't even breathe through my contractions I was hyperventilating no one no one offered me oxygen I look at mom's videos sometimes or like their photos and they're like holding the oxygen mask and I'm like how is it possible that nobody offers me oxygen in a hospital (laughs) like what um, I also delivered at a an educational hospital, so I I have a lot of friends who are studying to be in the medical field, and so I thought, well, let me be kind and let me agree that I can have students. So I had millions of students coming in, checking me. You know, I had no idea what I was getting into, and I had absolutely no um, privacy. I was full of fear. I was full of anxiety. I couldn't breathe, and I was excruciating pain because the epidural was off and you know, I was 10 centimeters and pushing from having had full medication to now no medication and I started crying my eyes out and I signed away the release for a cesarean and I was rolled into the operating room. Um, I had the joy of listening to the OB teach my <laughs> cesarean birth to a bunch of students on the other side of the curtain. Oh my gosh. And oh my I gosh. just remember it was just horrific. And I just remember thinking, I'm going to die. Like, I remember I was just, at this point, I had vomited everything I had before coming, uh, before getting my epidural and, and resting. And I, you know, had probably not eaten for about almost 24 hours. I've only had water. I was so exhausted. I was so thirsty. And I, I vividly remember looking at my husband and saying, and at the time, not even having the energy to articulate to him, like, will you spit in my mouth like that is how thirsty (laughs) I was and just how low my energy was where I generally just kept thinking like I'm not gonna make it and I was shaking and I was cold and my arms were tied down and I I kept having a very chipper cheery college student in my in my ear saying honey your vitals are great you're not gonna die and you know fast forward to 2020 and the rates of cesarean and of and just like the maternal mortality rate, right, and how it keeps rising in the U.S., and we're a first-world country, and we're, like, number 52 or 53 in the list of countries for maternal Mm -hmm. mortality. Like, that is absolutely irresponsible. Like, we're a first-world country. Why are women dying as a result of birth or pregnancy-related or their first year being a mother? Like, that's just unacceptable. So, actually, like, knowing the statistics and looking back at that feeling, like, no wonder that was so hard for me to let go of that feeling of I was going to lose my life. In that moment, that's what it felt like. So I share all that just to say that 
obstetric violence aside and obstetric bullying aside, I also just generally had that fear um, that I wasn't going to make it. And so I knew, like, this can't be life. Like, this is absolutely not what I want in the future. And this is a small detail that I sometimes skip over, but I think it's important to note. I was asked in front of my two support uh, family members that I brought, so my stepmom was with me and, and my husband, I was asked in front of them, are you being abused at home? So if that was my only opportunity to get help, they just blew it for me. Wow. Because oh, why yeah. would... You know what? Yeah. I ended up in the ER in the middle of the night a few nights ago for like a really, really horrible migraine. And... I went in and got what they call a migraine cocktail and it was the only thing that could save me at that time. Um, but my husband was there like two feet away from me, like answering all my questions. And then the doctor looked at me, you know, the admittance questions and he's like, do you feel safe at home? And I'm like, yeah, like even in my painful migraine state, I could know that like, yeah, nobody's going to say yes when their husband's or nobody's going to say no when their husband's two feet in front of them. Like, I mean, I do right. feel safe at home, for the record, but I just... For the yeah. record, me Ugh. too. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I encourage you to go back and report that because I did at my six-week post-op, I did report that back to the um, OB and actually on the hmm. spot, he called the hospital teacher and said, immediately pull all the students and tell them what I just heard and that they better not make that mistake again. So, like, it, it's wow. just so good to know, you know, like... Yeah those kind of feedback who knows who you're who knows who you saved by by having that educational moment and there's something about us getting to give the feedback back to the doctors which i know is kind of what we were thinking we'll talk about on this topic on this episode but you know there's something about giving our feedback to providers whether it's positive or constructive right like these doctors need to be well informed of how let down we are with the way that they didn't hold space for us on our ways to our VBACs, you know? And, and that's, I think, a big thing for me. Um, I had all this rage during my pregnancy, and I truly wonder, looking back, how much of it was because all these doctors didn't believe in me. And, you know, nobody wants to feel like that from their medical provider. So, you know, I almost feel like if we can create a, a campaign to, like, write a letter to your, you know, like how they say, like, write a letter. Yes. You don't need to mail it. You just, like, release your, your pain. Mm-hmm. Like, write a letter to the OB with what they said to you because we'll always, maybe we'll forget the words, but the, we'll, people never forget the feeling the way you made them feel. So these doctors, like, they need to get this feedback, and that's how they're going to hopefully try and turn it around, you know? Absolutely. Quickly, then, just to highlight my second birth, I uh, ended up getting pregnant two and a half years later, and I had at that time researched ICANN and knew the statistics and knew um, the different, and they had found the VBAC link and the birth hour and listened to all the stories and knew what to do. Um, And so when I went to interviewing midwives, I really wanted to go with them. Financially, it wasn't going to work out because I I have pretty awesome insurance, and so it was really hard for me to to try and go out of pocket and pay thousands when my insurance was going to cover basically everything. So I struggled to find in-network in providers that were supportive. And so then I ended up going with providers that were near my house, literally a three-minute drive. I was just like, you know what, I'll just stay comfortable. I have to see them so often. I'll just stay nearby. 
from the get, I was told that I had clearly a small pelvis and that, you know, if my baby didn't descend the first time, like that my second baby would probably be bigger and probably also not descend. So my first, my first child was eight pounds, eight ounces and failure to descend when you're like at stage negative two feels pretty condescending to say it's due to a small pelvis because the baby wasn't even in the birth canal Uh, ready to pop out. You know what I mean? Because I do know that that for some women, you know, like when you say for a fact, it's like, because you saw it, you know what I mean? Like, how dare you say something like that? But anyways, so he was just really, um, he was really VBAC tolerant, right? Not friendly. He was just like, well, if you go into labor by your due date, because we can't induce you, if you go into labor by your due date, and if everything goes the way, in the best bet for you, like, I'll let you push for one hour, and then you have to get a C-section. I'm like, what <laughs> are you talking about? So I'm like, all right, let me just push for the best. And then it was Christmas Eve, and I was coming for, like, my 20, 22 or 20-week appointment, and a new provider, because they had, like, five providers, one of them, she came to meet me, and she's like, well, let's just read through your paperwork. And so she's like, is this your name? Yeah, is this your date of birth? Yeah, I see here that it says you've elected a cesarean. And I flipped out. I'm like, I've literally Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, who wrote that? Did that, wow. did that doctor write that? And she's like, ma'am, sometimes we make mistakes. That's the purpose of reviewing the paperwork with you. And I was like, yeah, but I have said you back till I'm blue in the face. So... For anyone yeah. to write the word elected cesarean on my paperwork is just plain disrespectful. I need to leave this practice. Please check my baby and get out of my face. Like, I can't, I can't. Good and I just you. remember. You know, one of my friends, that's a fellow doula. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. She, for her first birth, she was wheeled into the operating room, like screaming that she did not want a cesarean. And her doctor wrote on her op report that it was an elective cesarean, that she chose it. Doesn't that just light your the fire? Kinds of things. These are the kinds of yeah. things we have to go back. We have to go back and, and like, yep. you know, advocate for ourselves even after the fact. And, and yeah, like, so that made me switch providers. So I spent all Christmas and New Year's looking for a new provider. So I find a new provider and I switch to that, that office. And they're like, yep, we're super back friendly. We got you. We got you. And I go, okay. So then at my, like, 30-week appointment, they book my, they, they want to book my C-section just in case. And I said, you know, I can hmm. understand that. I can understand that. However, I'm not booking it. And then, uh, like, a lady still calls me, and I said, okay, you know what? I'm comfortable with this particular date that's six days after my due date, just because if I'm going to end up with a cesarean, then I, at least I want the date to mean something to me. And that date meant something to me. It was my great grandma's birthday and she had, she had passed many years ago, but I was like, you know what, if I have to have a cesarean, then give me until, and it was something like, four, like almost 41 weeks. So I was like, you know what, I'm comfortable with, with this particular date. Well, she has a vacation. She's not going to be around. So I can't give you that date. You have to go sooner. And I was like, Okay, sure. I set I set the appointment. I hung up, and I went to an ICANN meeting and said, "When you start to assume that you're just not going to show up to your cesarean appointment, should I switch doctors?" <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, you really shouldn't just not show up. Like, like that's a sign that you probably should switch again." And I'm like, "Yeah, but I'm like thirty something weeks pregnant. My husband's going to think I'm crazy." 
because my husband, you know, I think he just lets me do my thing, but his family was very much pro-cesarean. In fact, on Christmas Day, they decided to remind me that I should just be selfless and get a cesarean and not make this about myself. No. <laughs> so that no. was really a wonderful Christmas present. <laughs> Oh gosh, they're going to hear this and be like, that's not what we said. But anyway, <laughs> um, I, I think ultimately at the end of the day, you know, they had a natural birth with their first child and things didn't go out, uh, didn't go as planned. And so, you know, she's lived a certain kind of life because of that with certain limitations. And so they're just saying like, why would you even risk having, you know, something go wrong in the birth canal? Like a C-section is just, it's just so clearly much easier um, you can assure your baby won't have any trauma because, you know, I, I don't blame them, right? People just assume that a baby having to go through a birth canal is traumatic. Meanwhile, that entire time, your body is letting them know that something is going to happen. You don't think it's traumatic that you're chilling there and then somebody just rips you out of your warmth. <laughs> yes. Your, mom, yes. your mommy's belly and you're like, what is going on? <laughs> I mean, it's just also how things are marketed, right? I think we're all, if you're listening to this and if you're tuning into the VUX link, if you're a doula, if you're in the birth world, like, you know, you know, the marketing tactics that have gone into why people mm -hmm. think this way. So I can't even blame them because they have been conditioned to think this way, right? Well, and that's um, the thing, too, that I think sometimes we forget is that our family members they love us and they want the best for us. They want the best for our babies. They think that they are coming at you from a place of love and concern. And they are. They probably are coming at you from a place of love and concern. They're just not educated about the things that, that you are. Exactly. And, you know, this process alone, going for a VBAC, it's such an amazing process because regardless of feedback or not, at the end of the day, you advocated for yourself, you educated yourself, you did all the things, you left your comfort zone, you fought a doctor, you discussed it with family members, right? Like all these things help grow and help you become resilient. So at the end of the day, the process in itself, I wish, didn't, I wish it didn't have to be this way. And I think we're all in our own way working to change that. But it is a process that did help me grow a lot in my life. And is probably one of the most resilient stories I could ever tell. And I guess just to wrap that up, I did go to a, 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 a ICANN meeting and it happened to be a very popular meeting that day. We had like 10 or 12 women and usually we only have like three or four and it was all of us in the room and some of them were on their second VBAC, third baby, fourth baby. Like it was so empowering. And um, I left the next day. I called the, the best provider um, in the area known for taking women you know, allowing them to switch like super late in their pregnancies. And it was a midwife and something had changed where like it was later in the year. So I had met my deductible and they could take me without charging me more. So if everything just worked out. I let them call the provider and break up with them for me. <laughs> and the provider called me and said, oh my gosh, are you leaving us because we scheduled your cesarean? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, we can just cancel it. And I was like, that's not the point. Like, you showed that's your not the point. Exactly. Like, that's not the point. Are you serious? They tried to keep me, you guys. Like, how crazy is that? People don't realize that they don't have to have that conversation with their provider. Their new provider can just call and get the records for them. They don't even have to talk to them. 
FYI, exactly. All you got to do is sign a release form. They send that release form, and it shows right there, Black Ink, send me my forms. I'm breaking up with you. <laughs> so that was nice. And I ended up going into labor the same way as my first labor. So in the middle of the night, my water broke. I immediately started having back labor again. So back labor meaning like I didn't have contractions in my belly. It was all in my back as if someone was breaking an axe on my back. But this time I went in the shower. I was doing like goddess pose with the shower, hot water on my back. I had essential oils. I had my hypnobirth music. I brought the yoga ball into the into the shower it, that was not a good idea. I actually fell off of it. <laughs> it was very painful. Um, I was bouncing on it in the water, like shifted it, and I bounced down, which I can't even believe I did that and survived. And then the whole time, I call my doula. She comes. We take my, my husband takes my daughter to someone who's going to watch us, watch her for us. And um, I'm begging to go to the hospital because I'm like, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to need that epidural. Sorry, guys. Like, I'm going to need that epidural. This back labor is crazy. Let's go to the hospital. We go to the hospital around 8 a.m. And when we get to the hospital, I'm about four centimeters. And I want it to be five. Um, last time I was three centimeters. So I was like, okay, well, at least I'm, you know, at least I know that I'm progressing. So I'm proud of myself. And I know the epidural will take time. So at least I know that the epidural is coming because my contractions are too much right now. I'm in the hospital. It takes two hours to get the epidural, and when they come to get give me the epidural, I'm seven centimeters, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm progressing! Thank goodness. So I'm seven centimeters. I take the epidural. Of course, it slows things down. But I'm using a peanut ball, and I'm taking a nap, and I'm switching, and I'm in like goddess pose on the bed, and all this stuff. And when it's time to push, I make a fear-based decision, and I want to just highlight: fear-based decisions have no place in your birth. You need to leave the fear at the door. You need to process the fear during your pregnancy and face it all because right when it was time to push and I felt all the pressure, I hit the epidural button and it hit me so much medicine that it paused my birth for three hours. Oh my goodness. I couldn't feel anything. I couldn't even, I couldn't feel anything, so I couldn't push. So they just talked to me and we just hung out for until I got the urge to push and felt something again. And then for three hours, my son was in my pelvis while I could touch his hair, but I couldn't push him out for three hours. And luckily I was touching. I learned later on that when you touch a baby's head, it calms their heartbeat or like it, it can help keep them calm. So I was yeah. his, his head just, to motivate myself to push harder but thank goodness for three hours he's just like my little champ like his heart was just perfect so it never decelerated they were calm letting me keep trying um I had a full woman staff it just happened to be everybody was a woman that day and then the woman will be on on the clock comes in and she's like I'm giving her 15 more minutes and then she needs to get a cesarean I've never met this woman I'm like oh my god and my midwives have been texting the backup doctor She's somewhere else trying to rush over to me because she's willing to, I guess, assist me. Because I guess the midwives can't step in and do, do like, I guess what they wanted to do to me was a physiotomy and a vacuum assist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people feel very different ways. There's different varying opinions about that. I was comfortable with the research that I did, that if I needed to do that, that I'd be comfortable with it. And ultimately, she flew in, like, literally five minutes before they were going to pull me into the OR. And she was like, all right, mama, like, 
do you consent to, and I want to say this very clearly, she asked for my consent. I said, yes, I consent to, you know, to a PPOTomy and a vacuum assist. And like five pushes later, my son was here. And when I pulled my son up, by the way, there was meconium and they knew there might be meconium. But when I pulled my son up, and so many women talk about that moment and I cry every single birth story I listen to. And I listen to like every feedback link story and like every birth hour story. I always cried when they're like, I pulled my baby and I thought to this day, I don't remember that moment. I just remember I did it. I effing did it. Mm-hmm. I effing did it. Yes. And all those doctors who said I couldn't do it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I was saying in the hospital room. Like, that's all I was thinking. And so they take my baby and they're checking him. And I ask somebody, probably my doula, like, can I get my phone? And I decide this is 15 minutes after I'm, like, delivering my placenta and they're, like, stitching me up. I decide to take a video because I never wanted to forget that moment in my life. And I decide to take a video. It's, like, a 15-second video. And it's basically just me cursing at the doctors the whole time being, like, I told you I could effing do it. I'm so effing proud of myself. Um, like, I'm gonna. Did you put that on Instagram? Yeah, in your stories. I'm pretty sure we got it. Yes. I have seen that video. Is that how we met? <laughs> that is how we met. So, oh, I yes. love it. I love that. I, we, we will definitely share this video. Yeah, I'm pretty um, sure we need to repost or like upload to our IGTV yeah. or your IGTV. <laughs> probably on your. Oh my god, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> It was amazing, and I guess, yeah, like a few months postpartum, I decided to post just five seconds of me cursing instead of 15 seconds of me cursing, <laughs> but I, I posted it, and, you know, it it blew up. I got so much support from women all over, I like, January, January Harsh, is it Harsh or Hirsch? Harshy. Um, you know, Bertha Balfield, Harshy, right, Harshy. She, like was in the in the comments like defending me women who were like ew why is she cursing and she was like that's what you feel like and exactly. Like, oh, my exactly. oh my god love it she's a goddess <laughs> i was just like fangirling you guys were shouting me out birth hour was shouting me out i was like oh my god i made it i made it in the birth world like people know my feedback story so to this day, I still get uh, DMs from from having that full story on the birth hour. But that's my story, and honestly, you know, I think a lot about that moment, and I, I've deemed I've deemed myself a VBAC unicorn. So I created hashtag VBAC unicorn just to help us kind of unite as women of strength who got through like such a difficult experience and you know want to just celebrate being the unicorn that the doctors told us we couldn't be i love it i love it so much i think i love the v-back unicorn but i also like it makes me feel sad because let me explain though because it's sad that it has to be such a rare thing such a thing that people don't believe in and such a thing that that you looked at, that you're looked at like some special creature after you have your back. Like, it's amazing. It's such a good feeling. You triumph and you you have this victory over these providers and the naysayers and your family or friends maybe who didn't support you. And that's a really powerful feeling, but it's sad that it has to be that way. I don't know. I just, does that make sense? It's a great, oh, absolutely. it's sad. It makes sense. <laughs> And it's even sadder when you are 
advocating and helping women on their way to their VMAC. And then when they end up having a cesarean for one reason or another, it creates this distance between women who were on a journey together and suddenly my journey veered right and yours veered left. And Mm -hmm. there's all these unsaid feelings and emotions around that. And I just want it to be made very clear that if you're listening to this and you end up having a feedback or you're listening to this because you had a feedback, I want you to know when you don't get your feedback, a cesarean is not a reflection of how hard you worked or whether you did the right thing or the wrong thing. You don't need to have done anything wrong to have a cesarean. Your body did not fail you and use your best friend voice with yourself. Like you wouldn't tell your best friend, your body's a failure. You failed, Mm -hmm. you know, so don't use that terminology with yourself. I think that's really important. I think you know, when, when I first became a doula, I thought I knew everything. Just like when I first, you know, with my first pregnancy going into my first birth, I thought I knew everything, right? I was so confident. And I, and I was like, yes, I'm here to rule the world. I was made to do this, you know, and all the things. And I, and the more births I've been to, the more I realized that I'm never, I'm never done learning. I always, every birth that I go to teaches me something. And one thing that I have learned is that a lot of birth is preparation and intuition, but a lot of it is also luck. Sometimes luck is not on your side and something happens. And sometimes we, it's, sometimes it's easy to see and we have answers and we can say, oh my gosh, yes, that's what happened. And that's why I needed a cesarean. And sometimes there are no answers. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just bad luck and you have zero control over that. And it's, really, really hard place to be in when you did everything you possibly could or everything that you even knew to do and still ended up with a repeat cesarean. And then I don't know, I just kind of like really want to segue into like all of the things right now, but I guess I'm quite not quite sure where, where I want to take this, but maybe we let's talk about the seaback mom and maybe like the unheard seaback mom. I mean, what, what have you seen with that? I remember you told me a story about before we started recording about one of your ICANN um, parents about after they had yes. their CBAC. Yeah. Um, so I facilitated a conversation between two CBAC mamas, one mama who around 37 weeks pregnant due to her blood pressure had to actually just get a C-section right away. So she didn't even get the um, opportunity to go through labor. And she also didn't get to labor with her first birth. So she cried out all her feelings and she went for her seat back and it was what it was, right? But she she articulated feeling confident in her decision, knowing this time around, having asked all the questions, understanding the benefits, risks, and alternatives, and she felt empowered going into, you know, her seat back, which I think the mindset really helps, right, in the process versus another mother who was, I think, 42 weeks, uh, 42 weeks pregnant and had done all the things and on her 42nd week, you know, was walking into the hospital to just have her cesarean. So, you know, she really tried to the bitter end, you know, and it was two months postpartum and she still hadn't told anyone that she didn't, hadn't talked about her birth. Obviously we knew because you know, usually, you know, like, like you're saying, I think before we started filming, like we start stalking them to see if they had their baby or not. (laughs) 
And so, yeah, we need closure. <laughs> we need closure. Right? I mean, not to make it about us, because it's not about us, but I mean, we, <laughs> we wonder all about concern. Because we want to hold space for them, right? Not so much because we're like, oh, yeah, did you get your V bag? Like, let's check the box, but more so because we want to hold space for them. And we know it's a very delicate time and it's something that you can't hide. You know, like everything else that happens to you, like, it's something you can hide, but a baby is something that is physically outwardly, it appears. And so, you know, you have people in your face and you're also still processing and you can't hide anywhere. We all know like your baby can't be in there for 12 months. So we know you had your baby. So I said to her, listen, are you going to come to the next ICANN meeting? I'm going to make it all about feedback because I want everybody to be able to also process their feedback. A lot of our conversations in ICANN, are about VBAC only because we're serving that kind of community and that's the women coming in in the door, right? It doesn't mean that we don't do education and support for cesarean birth and talk about birth trauma, but predominantly a lot of VBAC mamas come to our meetings. And so she genuinely thought that she wasn't welcome back because she didn't have a VBAC. And I said, of course you are welcome. Like we are first and foremost education and support for cesarean birth. We are not mm-hmm. first and foremost only for VBAC. But it really got me thinking that if that's the impression that she got, how many other women who got their CBAC and therefore didn't return to these spaces that before that were like circles of strength for them and support. And we're still all the same. We're still mamas just wanting to advocate for our wants and desires for our bodies. But ultimately, you know, every baby makes the decision of how they're going to enter this, this earth. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's what we all wanted to talk about. Now, I, I'm curious. I know Allie has been like an active listener. Yeah, I know. I was just going to ask her. Yeah. <laughs> As a doula, Allie, like, how have you held space or how have you processed throughout that when you're dealing with your clients who have feedbacks? Like, I, I think one of the biggest things that I took out of my VBAC link training was sort of separating, like, just the the acronym VBAC is full of outcomes, like we're immediately defining outcomes. And I think one of the most amazing things I, I got out of my training through VBAC link was really breaking it down from that and, and understanding that there's empowerment in, in any birth outcome. And any birth outcome can be a positive birth. And so when I'm working with clients, and it's becoming a, a CBAC, you know, I, I do, a, we do a lot of positive affirmations and a, and a lot of slowing things down and bringing it all back to, you know, this isn't a rush. We have time to process this stuff. Julie was saying earlier something about, you know, when you started out as a doula and you, you had all these thoughts and it was like the same, when I first started out as a doula, one of the first births I ever attended was a cesarean and I was so nervous and it was like we had labored for 40 hours and it was this whole thing. And when the OB came into consult with the midwife and with my client, I, you know, we, I asked for them, for everybody to clear the room and I turned out the lights and played their worship music and just left the room and let them have their conversation. And she went for her cesarean her epidural was garbage and they didn't do a spinal. So she ended up under general. She didn't see baby for five hours. I was with dad that whole time. She finally came out and I was just like, this is the worst thing in the world. And she was like, 
this was the most beautiful experience. (laughs) This was amazing. And it was really just one of those times where it flipped something in my head to stop obsessing over outcomes and start obsessing over people's feelings in the moment. And like you said, you made a fear-based decision. And so I want to be supporting people in the moment to not be in that place in their mind that they're going to that kind of decision-making. When I, I want to go back to your story though, Mari. And I think one of the, one of the things that I really took away was the fact that you said, I didn't know anything my first time. I didn't know. Any, I like watched these three YouTube videos and tried to compare it all, but you did, you knew so much because you knew when you felt like you were dying and you knew what was not okay when they asked you, is there abuse at home with family members in the room? Like you knew so much. We know so much instinctually. And so I think you need to give yourself some credit there for sure. Um, oh my God, Allie, you're going to make me cry. You're so <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I loved that part though, when you said that, because I feel like, like as doulas and as birth workers, you know, we know a lot of stuff and like I'm, I, you know, just peruse through the birth partner when I've got nothing else to do and I'm drinking my coffee in the morning. But there's also those things that you can't read in a book that are just instinctual to us. And, and you had so much of that in your first birth, even though you had more, you know, maybe not like quote unquote knowledge behind you in your, in your second and you switched providers and, and you knew how to advocate for yourself and, and keep trying to find the person that was going to work for you. In the first, you knew so much and you knew so much to actually take it to the next level and report people. And I think that that's, I think that that I, I honestly, like I I'm in such awe of you. You're such an inspiration. It was so wonderful to hear your story. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for having me. I mean, and this conversation, I think, needs to continue. Like, I don't know um, how you guys feel about this because, I mean, VBAC Link is, is your platform. But, you know, to the mama hearing this and resonating with this story, like, I think we should all write that that letter to either the birth we w- wished we had or that letter to the, uh, the unsaid things that weren't said to that doctor or throughout that experience so that we can release all that shame that we carry and sometimes all that sorrow that comes with you know the outcome that wasn't what you desired and that way it can allow us to focus on what we did know and what we did you know experience and I always try to remember like sorrow prepares you for joy and so we have Mm -hmm. to just feel the sorrow and release it and I'm personally going to write a letter that I'm probably never going to mail but I'm going to write a letter (laughs) to all those doctors who said I couldn't do it right but um, I do encourage women to do that and you know if we get a bunch of letters like I would love to just read them all (laughs) (gasps) oh my gosh we have an episode we should do an episode where we just read letters that these women that write to their doctors but like obviously don't include their personal information or whatever but oh my gosh let's do it let's get back together I'm literally having a letdown thinking about this right now. Um, well, you all, I mean, we're gonna, obviously we're going to have to kick Megan off the episode because she was not she here for the decision. <laughs> no, let's. We'll have you back, Allie. We'll have Maddie back, and we'll have Megan. Yay. And let's let's spread across our platforms, Allie, you too, and and Maddie. Let's let's ask women to email us their letters. 
And they don't have to include details. They don't have to include their personal information. They can even make up their own Gmail address that's completely anonymous and send it to us. And we can read that letter. So if you know me at all, then you know I love giving homework to my clients. And so I am giving homework to every single person listening to this episode right now. And your homework is write a letter of the things you wish you would have said or wish you could say to your provider's face about how just anything about your feelings, about how your birth went, about how the things that they said hurt you or about how just, I mean, Megan, after her birth, the first words out of her mouth, after her feedback, after two C-sections was screw you, Dr. Blank, because not going to throw anybody under the bus, even as much as we would want to, you know, she just said, screw you, Dr. Blank, that told her no good luck out there. Nobody's going to want you. She just said, screw you. And even if it's just that mm-hmm. short, and then email it to us, info at vbacklink.com, or you can send it to us on Facebook or Instagram or Madi, um, any of her connections that we're linking down below, get us the letters. And we are going to do an episode where we read these letters and we'll probably talk a lot about them too, to be honest. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I see that being such a healing process because at the end of the day, everything left unsaid is going to keep festering inside of you. And, you know, I just want women to live motherhood with joy, but there are so many things that keep us from our joy. So I love this. Thank you for collaborating with me on it. (laughs) Yes. Everything left unsaid. That's what we're going to call. Yes. Not this one. This one is going to be called um, (laughs) something else, but our episode where we read all the letters is going to be called everything left unsaid. And I'll write my letter. Muddy, you write your letter. Allie, are you a feedback mom or do you just want to write a letter to anybody like any provider <laughs> your provider or like providers maybe you've seen because there are a couple providers of births that I have attended that I would really like to write letters to do it oh, oh I, I I've I've definitely got ideas done okay <laughs> let's let's um ready break and then we will meet back let's see I'm I'm trying to plan this out so that everyone listening now can know when this is going to be coming. Let's see. I can actually block it out right now. It's kind of far because we're recording so we don't have to record anything yeah. through the holidays. So it would probably be end of January, like January 20th. I'm putting in my spreadsheet now. It is officially known that January 20th, the episode that will air then shall be called Everything Left Unsaid. And we will read all it. of the letters. Send them to to Madi, send them to me, send them to Allie, send them to Megan. Get them to us any way, however ways you want. And I'll, I'll, I'll make, a, I'll make a box on my contact on um, on my website and link it in my bio so you don't even have to put a, an email address in. Perfect. 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 And I'm going to figure out some way to do that on, on our end as well. Somebody <laughs> That's our website right now. I don't have to do it anymore. And it makes me happy. But then I'm like, wait, how would I do that now? <laughs> oh, everything left unsaid. I love it. Oh, my gosh. Yes, this is going to be really powerful. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So I've got a couple things I've got to do to wrap up the episode. Um, First of all, Allie, thank you so much for being my co-host. I'm so glad to have you on here and your insight. And we are going to be welcoming you back. Block it out. January 20th, everybody. <laughs> And then, Ali, people in Canada, (laughs) Vancouver, North Vancouver, right? Yep. How do they contact you? 
Yeah. So um, I'm on Instagram at nsdoula and nsdoula.com if you want to get in touch with me. Thanks so much for having me on. This was really amazing. And Mari, again, thank you so much for sharing your story. It was just so wonderful and beautiful to listen to. I'm not lying when I'm saying I think my bra is uh, soaked. <laughs> You're <laughs> so hilarious. I love it. Again, I'm echoing what Ali said. Muddy, you are amazing. I, oh my gosh, I am so, so glad that you made that video because that video has brought so many good things to the birth space and look what it's even still doing good right now and on January 20th and whenever you record in January and it's powerful and you are powerful and I hope that you and every other person who has given birth by unplanned cesarean can look back and see that their strength and find some strength in their story even if they don't feel anything but miserable about it right now because no matter how your baby's brought into this world, you are an incredible woman of strength and you did some really, really amazing work. And we are all proud of you for that. So Muddy, how can people find you? And again, we're going to link everything to both of you guys in the show notes. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me and for your kind words, both of you. I can be reached at my website, which is www.madi.me, M-E, or on Instagram at Madi underscore Vega. And again, Facebook was Madi Vega Motherhood. Thank you so much for having me. Perfect. And thank you. And again, guys, you can find that information in the show notes and stay tuned. January 20th is the day. Send us your letters to any three of us or just email them to info at thevbacklink.com. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to thevbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.